Welcome to the Find Your Awesome Podcast. My name is Kelsey Abbott and I'm your host. I'm a transformational leader and an instigator of joy. And I use human design, professional coaching, intuition, and meditation to help people relax into their true essence. Remember who they really truly are so they can experience more ease, abundance, and joy. Now this week, this conversation is it's just really good. It's with Erica Stein and Allie French. And I'm just going to tell you right off the bat that I can't wait to have them back again. They are the founders of Courageous Wellness. They are both health coaches and they recently invited me, or we recently recorded an episode for their podcast. It's not going to air for a few more months, but that was the first time I met them and I adore them. And somehow in the conversation, when we were recording the episode for their podcast, it came up that they are both Buddhist. And I just found that really interesting. You may know that I, I don't know. I'm Buddhist curious. I'm, I don't know the right terms and I'm not really one for labels, but I have been kind of the, the term studying, but I'm going to use that, but very loosely studying Buddhism for, I don't know, probably five years or so. Oh, geez, probably more than that. Um, I've never done any sort of formal training with a group or studying. See, I don't even know the right words other than a like three month Tibetan meditation class. So to to discover that Erica and Ali are practicing Buddhists and to learn that Erica was raised Buddhist, I was just like, holy moly. So what was that like? And then that Ali and Erica actually met through Buddhism. So we decided that we needed to record an episode for the Find Your Awesome podcast about Buddhism. And of course, we stray into wellness a little bit. And as I said already, I can't wait to have them back again because the two of them, there's such magic in their partnership and such balance and power. Their energy together is really, really rock solid and powerful and curious. And it's just really good. So yeah, we'll have them back on the podcast. So why don't I just get out of the way and let you listen to this conversation between me, Allie French and Erica Stein. But first, one last thing, if you want to learn more about me or work with me, head to kelseyabbott.com. And if you're not already on my email list, go sign yourself up for your human design love note, where you will get a love note all about your energy type. That's whether you're a generator, a manifester, a manifesting generator, a projector, or a reflector. And if you don't have your human design chart yet, you can get that at kelseyabbott.com as well. Either one of those avenues will sign you up for my email list. All right. For real, I'm going to get out of here. I loved this conversation with these two magical beings, and I hope you do too. As always, remember, I love you. You are a miracle. Go forth and be awesome. Allie and Erica, I am so excited for this. I have been looking forward to this definitely since I talked to you guys to record on your podcast. But kind of since you came into my sphere, I've been like, I need to know them. So welcome. Welcome to the Find Your Awesome podcast. Thank you. We're so happy to be here. I'm so excited. 
<laughs> yes, yes. Too. we've been looking forward to it as well since we got to interview you not too long ago. So one of the questions, actually, I never plan beyond the first question, really. I know we're going to talk about Buddhism. I want to know all about you guys, but you asked me a question at the end of your podcast that this just came, came up for me. You asked me about a book that changed my life. Totally caught me off guard. I ended up sharing about the Dalai Lama's cat series. I wouldn't change my answer. Still love them. And I've read them multiple, multiple times, but I want, I'm curious, what are your answers? What and just go with the first thing that comes up for you as I did, but what book has just had a really big influence on your life? I know my answer and, or this is the one that comes to me right away. I'm sure there are many, but, um, for me, there was a book called the microbiome diet and, um, diet is in the title and Ali and I don't really love that word, but, um, this book wasn't really about a diet at all. I think it's just that's how they had to market it. It was all about the gut and the, like our gut health and our gut brain connection and how important the trillions of microbes inside of us are and how they literally control everything from our immune system, our mental health, our physical health, literally everything is determined by these microbes. And I could nerd out about them for hours and how like the microbes inside of our gut will live longer than we will. They will find new hosts after we're gone. I could be so nerdy about this, but I find it really fascinating. And it really changed my relationship with not only food and my body, but just realizing how truly spectacular we are as like human, like our souls are in these like meat sacks that have all these microbes inside of us that determine literally everything. And they just want us to survive and thrive. And yes, I'm going to stop now, but that was my first book introduction to like the gut microbiome. And I, and again, it, it's not about a diet at all. It's like at the end, they teach you how to eat for your gut, but, um, the science of it was really fascinating and has been a very impactful read for me. Have you had an experience healing your own gut? Yeah, I have. I had really terrible, terrible digestive issues. Um, and doctors did not know what was going on. I was diagnosed with GERD, which I've since learned that's what your doctor diagnoses you with when they don't actually know what's going on. Um, but yes, through, through, you know, food and nutrition and lifestyle, I was really able to heal my, my gut. So, um, and I think it's like a long process, but, um, it's, I, I no longer have any GERD symptoms. I have none of the symptoms that I went to the doctor for, um, those years ago. Yeah. Mm. Um, so that makes sense because projector open sacral. Yeah. You're going to take in so much of other people's energy through that center. Yes. Yes. Yeah. It was wild. I, I, yeah. It was, it was a wild time when I was very sick to my stomach, literally. I, I had a gut healing journey as well, and I have a defined sacral, so it's not necessarily like exclusive to people with an open sacral, but, um, makes more sense that we get a little out of alignment in our open centers. Yeah. Um, well, I also have many and kind of in all different areas too. But I guess the one that's coming to mind is something I'm reading right now. 
So I haven't even finished it. I'm going to be honest about that, but it's so, um, it's been so impactful thus far. So I'd like to share this one because it feels very relevant to the moment and it's called inflamed and, um, it's the deep medicine and the anatomy of injustice. And I just, you know, I started it and I texted Erica. I was like, I think this might be the most important book I ever read. (laughs) Um, you know, we'll see if that's true. But I think what I was just so drawn to, I heard the authors on a podcast actually. And, um, what I was so drawn to about it was that they were talking about how our, our anatomy, our bodies, you know, are basically the microcosm of the same issues that we're experiencing on the macrocosm and the, on, yeah, on the macro, in the macro level of what we, um, deal with as far as inflammation goes. So societal inflammation, our planet with what's going on with climate change and then our bodies with chronic illness. And that it is in fact, they start to dissect that it's this, um, it's this sort of colonial capitalist cosmology that in turn has, um, disconnected us historically, um, from, ecosystems that were important, um, from whether, you know, dams have gone in and water flows in a different direction and the, you know, environmental and physical repercussions of that to systemic racism. I mean, they go through it all. And so, and how it ultimately really can affect the body and the things that we are, um, struggling with as humans from a health perspective now, and that it's not just, it's not just the micro, it's not just the individual's journey, but it's that it's, it's larger. Um, and it's, it's what's going on with our planet right now. So it's just fascinating. I mean, it's like, yes. So I'm working on that and, uh, I definitely recommend it. That sounds fascinating. And so obvious as you say, I'm like, yeah. And even just the example of dams too, (laughs) I, come from a marine biology background. So seeing the way dams were humans trying to control things, trying to like make things right and how they've been so disastrous in like destroying the ecosystem. And then look at the things that we've ended up putting in our bodies that were like trying to control things that end up being again, so disastrous and doing the opposite. Yeah. So it's just something, it's a book that means a lot to me currently, but there's so many, I know it's like the hardest question we ask people about. That's why I had to ask you guys. I I know I used to ask a question on my podcast and every time I asked it, I was like, oh shit, what if somebody turns this on me? I don't know what I'm going to answer. And you know, it's like the answers can be different depending on the day. Absolutely. I was like, I don't know. And that's what I tend to think out of like every question that someone asks me, I have no idea what's going to come out. We're just going to go with it. When that answer comes out, it's going to surprise me just as much as it's going to surprise you. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. So now taking it in a slightly different direction, I think we're going to probably going to get back to health and wellness. I don't know where we're going, but we touched a little bit in my conversation on your podcast, we touched a little bit on Buddhism and Erica, you were raised 
Buddhist or in a Buddhist household. Ali, you came to it, I think seven years ago, you guys met. I want to know all about it. Let's start with Erica. What was it like being raised in a Buddhist household? It was, you know, it's so interesting because my, I was born, I'm 33. I was born in 88 and my mom started practicing in 81 and my dad started practicing in 83. So they were both like pretty even established in their own Buddhist practices before I even came into existence, but it was, it was wonderful. You know, um, like any child, I didn't understand. My parents are also both culturally Jewish. They both come from, they grew up in Jewish homes. Um, but we always celebrated Christmas in our house, like full Christmas, like not like Hanukkah bush Christmas, like Santa Claus, merry and bright Christmas dinner. So I was a very confused child because my parents also had this huge Buddhist altar in their home. And, but it's, it was all I really knew. And I I was fortunate in the sense that I, I did grow up in Southern California and I went to like, you know, um, there's a lot in my childhood, but for my first eight years till third grade, I went to like a little Montessori school and it was very hippy dippy kumbaya. Like it was, it was so hippy dippy. So it wasn't strange, but when I started public school in fourth grade, that's when I think I started being aware that I was maybe a little bit different. And, um, but it was just such a wonderful way to grow up and to be raised. And you know, I really, I, 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 my parents went through a lot of really challenging times actually when I was growing up, probably from age eight to 14, they went through like a series of like very intense struggles, um, and have like watching them use Buddhism and having the community component. Cause my parents practice in an organization of other Buddhists. That's how Ali and I met, um, that community component, I think like saved my life. And I don't think I'd be the person I am today without it. And I just watching them really utilize Buddhist principles and philosophies. And my parents are not perfect by any means. And like everyone I have, you know, trauma from my parents, like what kid doesn't, but the greatest gift they ever gave me was the tenets of Buddhism, which is like, you are perfect and wonderful as you are. And I had to learn that through my own series of traumas and, and my life. But, but fundamentally, I always knew and believed that the power was always within me and it wasn't external. And, you know, Buddhism really, the type of Buddhism we practice specifically is Mahayana Buddhism and Nichiren Buddhism specifically with the Sokagakai International, which means value creation society. But it really teaches that you are perfect and wonderful as you are and everything like good is inside of you. And we chant. So we chant these words to call out that Buddha that lives inside of us to remember and awaken. That's why it's so it's similar to human design in the sense of it's about remembering and awakening to this truth that exists inside of us and that we were all born with. And, um, yeah, I, I mean, there's so many places I could go with it. So I'll just stop here now, but it was a wonderful, wonderful way to grow up truly. And, um, I'm really grateful for it because especially with the traumas and the struggles that I went through and my parents went through, I, I do not know if I would be here today 
without it. So yeah, oh my <laughs> I goodness. hope that answered the question a little bit. <laughs> yeah. Well, and it sounds like such a gift to be raised with that, to be exposed to that, to have parents, to model that, to really, truly believe at the beginning that you are perfect and wonderful as you are. Wow. Yeah. And, and it's so interesting because, you know, my parents, like they have their own stuff, like all parents do. Right. Especially I feel like at least my parents are from the boomer generation and they grew up in such a specific way that they had to unlearn so much to even be practicing Buddhists. But I know Buddhism saved their lives as well. And, and I think that's, what's great is like, it's not about being perfect, right? Like there've been so many, my first personal experience in Buddhism was like my experience with self-worth and self-love and like really understanding and unpacking. And I still do that today that I am perfect as I am, right. That it's not about anything external. It's all about the internal, but, um, you don't have to be perfect to practice Buddhism, right. You just show up as you are and continue to work it. And, yeah. It, yeah. It's a gift. I, I, and I've always felt that way. I know lots of kids have different experiences in the religions they grow up in, whether Buddhist or not, you know, I have other friends who grew up Buddhist, but I, I don't know. It's just the way I was born. I don't know if it's my human design or what it is, but I always felt a strong connection to Buddhism and I always practiced it. Like it was, it's always been a part of me since I was very like small. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. I've heard that. I mean, obviously we've all had tons of past lives and maybe in a past life you were a Buddhist monk and, and there's sometimes I'm like, I'm pretty sure I was like, that makes so much sense to me. It like resonates at a deep level. Yeah, no, there, there's definitely, this is not my first, my first rodeo with Buddhism. And, and even like, like I said, we could go so deep and get, go to so many places, but our Buddhism teaches, which is a really difficult, but I think really wonderful concept that we do choose our environment. We choose, right? Like, again, it's just like human like design, every, like human design, but like we choose our parents, we choose the moment we're born, we choose. And I think why that's so deep is because you know, I don't think anyone wants, it's not about blame or like, I didn't choose my trauma or I didn't choose this, but we come into this world with like soul contracts. And, um, yeah, I, I don't think this is, this was just not my first go around with Buddhism. I feel that very deeply. <laughs> yeah. And Ali, yes. How, what drew you to Buddhism? What drew you in particular to like the, the day, place and day that you met Erica? How did you get there? Yeah, it was my first Buddhist meeting that I had ever been invited to. She happened to be at, and that's, um, you know, I don't think it's coincidence, but, um, there are thousands and thousands, believe it or not, we're kind of a quiet bunch, but like there are thousands and thousands and thousands of Buddhists, even just in LA, um, that we practice in our, and there's millions and millions in our, even in our organization around the world, which is a lay, it's a lay Buddhist organization, just to clarify. So we don't practice with any temples, any priests or monks. It's all just like regular human beings together in a self kind of organized grassroots community across the world. So, um, I was invited, uh, by a colleague at the time who I had done a show with, I was 
performing. Um, I have a musical theater background and I was performing in a show in New York and I was in rehearsals for many weeks there. Uh, and two of my castmates had, um, I ran into on the street one day after rehearsal. And I was like, oh, it's funny that they're like hanging out. I just never thought that they would be friends outside of work. And uh, I was like, where are you guys going? And they're like, oh, we're going over to the Buddhist center. We're both Buddhists. And I was like, oh, really? That's cool. And then I just like went, uh, you know, went along with my day. I don't remember saying, oh, I'm really interested in that. But um, fast forward a few months back in LA after the show had closed and my, one of the colleagues had also, was also LA based. He called me and he just said, Hey, I remember you showed interest in Buddhism. We're having our end of the year. It was like November at the time, um, meeting, would you like to come? And I, you know, I remember the moment he called me and I didn't have a good enough excuse to say no. I mean, I'm being honest. That was like my thought process, um, which is very LA of me to be like, oh, but I just said yes, which is not very LA of me. It would be very LA of me to be like, I'll see if I can make it, you know? And I was like, okay. I immediately called a girlfriend and I was like, I have no idea what I just agreed to. I'm going to this meeting on Saturday morning. I was like, I will pick you up. I will buy you coffee. I will have a bagel ready for you. It's like my Jersey roots. Be like, I'll bring you coffee and a bagel. I'll pick you up. I basically bribed her with that to come with me because I didn't really know anybody. I just knew this colleague. Long story short, walk in. It's at someone's house. Everybody's chanting. I had never heard these words before. I'm like, whoa, this is cool, but this is weird. I just have no context for any of this. And then the meeting went and Erica was like the guest leader and she was talking that day and it's all voluntary leadership. But, um, yeah, I just remember, wow, this girl's like very, I remember feeling that she was very enthusiastic which she still is. And, uh, just like very sunny. And I was like, wow, she's like really happy. <laughs> and I didn't know this, like, you know, this, all these people were just like happy. And I was like, oh, this is interesting. You know, it takes a moment to like adjust to, and it felt authentic and long story short, I just really vibed with the people. I vibed with the philosophy. I tested the practice. I was encouraged to test it in my own life and try chanting and see if it worked for me, which was a huge thing because it wasn't anybody asking me to have blind faith in something I hadn't experienced. They, they were basically saying, experience it, make your own decision. That's how faith gets developed. Faith doesn't get developed by saying you need to believe something and then see it. They were like, see it and develop your own beliefs about it. And that's really how this Buddhism works. And of course, things started to shift in my life literally the next day. Um, and there's this concept in the Buddhism that we practice called actual proof that you want to see actual proof in your life that, um, that it, it's working for you. And I started to see that. And, um, Actually, within a year of my own practice, I got my cancer diagnosis and I was, you know, in my twenties at the time. And, um, I do, I feel like the timing of it all was incredibly, I don't know, poignant because I had that tool that Erica was saying in order to help me through that journey. And I couldn't imagine having gone through it, not having had the tool. 
And so, um, yeah, that's, that's my, that's my intro story. (laughs) Well, that's a super powerful story, especially the fact that, so as a generator, the universe is out there personal shopping for you all the time. And so the universe brought you Buddhism. You tried to deny a gift initially, but couldn't find a reason to. So you end up then like actually following the trail a little farther, getting lit up by it. So you're now like following what lights you up. So you're, so you have this practice so you can deal with this huge, like boulder that's coming into your life. It prepared you. It prepared me. Absolutely. And, you know, in this Buddhism, it's not, you know, I think sometimes people have a perception that Buddhist, there are sects of Buddhism where it's a lot about like, I'm going to, um, practice like detachment or like go up on the hill and meditate and remove myself from society. And that's not actually what we practice in a lot of ways. It's the opposite of what we practice where we practice that you know, life is full of obstacles and challenges, but it's through facing them and developing courage and compassion to get through them and face them head on that we undergo this process called human revolution, where, um, on the other side of using these challenges and obstacles is incredible joy that we can experience. And, um, yeah, so it's a very, practical practice. It's not an escapist practice. And, um, and as Erica had mentioned too, it's about, you know, remembering our truest nature, which can often be diluted, um, because of all of our like humaning that happens (laughs) and, and having a practice to help us remember like our innate potential that always exists within all of us. So it's really empowering. That's hard. It's not an easy thing. It's not an easy thing to continue. So it takes a lot of work. (laughs) How so? How does it take a lot of work? Like what's your daily practice? Or I don't know, just answer the first question. How does it take a lot of work? It's a really, yeah, I can answer first. Cause I, you know, I think it's hard to be a human being, right? And I think we live in a society where it's very easy to live out of alignment, right? Or again, live outside of your design or live just um, in your not self where you can distract and you can blame. You can be like, well, it's my parents' fault or it's my ex-boyfriend's fault or it's my boss's fault that I'm so unhappy or it's when I get to my dreams, like when this happens, I will be happy. That's a very easy it's not a happy place to live, but it's an easy place to live. And, and I don't even think some people realize it's not a happy place to live, right? Because we're society really conditions us to, um, live from that place of like, just when you get there, things will be better. And our practice is like, Nope. (laughs) I know we were talking a little bit, um, like right before the episode, but it's where like life itself is the joy, like life itself, this moment, is all you got. And it's the joy. And, um, we practice for ourselves and for other people. So again, like, and that's something again, like when 
I think what's great about having a partner in business that has the same like base philosophy is this concept of like Ali and I truly believe and Buddhism really teaches. It's like, you can't actually be happy if society is burning around you. You just can't like, it's not true, real happiness, right? It's happiness for self and for others. And, um, yeah, so I think that concept that's hard is when things aren't going well or things aren't going right. It's not that it's your fault, but you have to do the internal work to change it. That human human revolution is very hard. It's way easier. And again, like Ali said, we don't have priests. We don't have clergy. We chant to a scroll that represents our life. It's literally just like a representation mirror of the Buddhahood that exists inside of each of us. And we have a community of believers to encourage one another. But there's no one you can go to or pay or like, you know, you can't like go somewhere else to fix yourself. You have to be really committed to like, why am I not happy? Why do I think that when I get the guy, the relationship, the car, whatever it is, I'm going to be happy? Because I think a lot of people realize in society, they get there and they're still not happy. Right. And that was like, you know, That was one of my first independent experiences outside of, like I said, like really learning how to love myself is like, I was that person. I was like, when I get X, I will be happy. (laughs) And I'd been practicing Buddhism my whole life at that point. But again, society really conditions us for that. So I don't know, at least for me, I think that can be a challenging, it's not that it's like bad. It's just, it's challenging to constantly, you know, you can't blame external forces for your life. And that is not normal in our culture. It's like, no, yes, you can. It's this person's fault. Right. Um, yeah. And then Ali, I don't know if you want to talk about the daily practice of it all. There is a daily practice. Yeah. I think, I think that's what like Erica hit the nail on the head when she says, it's like, you know, we talk about not seeking outside of ourselves and that's a, that's a hard thing to do. Right. As she, as she had mentioned, um, and the daily practice takes some discipline and there's no guilt in Buddhism, which is wonderful. It's a self-led thing practice that we have at home. Uh, but typically we chant morning and evening. You could chant for five minutes. You could chant for 50 minutes. You could chant for an hour and a half. It's kind of up to you. Um, and we recite the words, Erica, I think you said it earlier. It's Nam Myoho Renge Kyo is sort of the mantra we say out loud with our eyes open. It's a very active practice. And we do use that scroll that she had mentioned as like a visual focal point. Um, but it's not an object of, um, worship. It's a representation of our life and like a mirror of our life. So it's literally the act of sitting and facing your life every day, twice a day. And, um, so we chant those words and then we also chant a portion of the Lotus Sutra. Um, and yeah, that only takes a couple minutes. So that's, that's the actual practice every day, um, which helps develop discipline are there days we miss it? Of course. Um, but you know, after doing it for, I'm at seven years now, I know that even when I have resistance to doing it, it's the time that I need to do it the most. I've learned that. Um, so in a way it's kind of, yeah, it's, it's, uh, takes, it takes discipline, but it also helps develop discipline. I think it's kind of too, you know, too, 
excited in that way. And just to add to that, I think the organization just exists to support the daily practice because it is really hard to, it's hard to win like that human revolution component. It is hard to win over yourself every single day alone. And I think that's why, like with everything, it's like, if you want to learn about human design, you get a coach or we coach people for nutrition, the organization, which is totally free by the way, which is in incredible and something that I've always really resonated with because when my family was going through a really challenging time, um, we wouldn't have been able to afford anything that wasn't free. Um, and I, you know, Ali and I can talk about this, but I think spirituality and religion should be accessible to all people, especially. Um, but it is totally free, but the organization just exists. Like we have meetings with, you know, other women and there's, you know, uh, study meetings and there's youth focused meetings. And, um, we study Buddhism, we share experiences. We a lot of study, actually, there's a lot of study. There's always a study component, but you know, those meetings, and I'd say like for basic general members, it's just like twice a month is really, you know, the commitment, maybe three times a month if you wanted to, but those, those meetings really do help the remembering, I think, right? Like hearing other people's experiences, studying Buddhist philosophy together, you're like, oh, I can continue one more day, right? In in the midst of maybe a challenging moment, especially, or a good moment, because I find my faith is actually when I'm like good, that's when I slip the most actually, right? It's like, but that's, you know, now I've been doing it on my own outside of my parents' house for 15 years. And, um, now I have the training and the discipline to continue, but it used to be like, I would really only do it if I, I was going through a hard time, you know, especially growing up. I have so many questions, but this is the one that's coming out loudest right now. So it's chanting twice a day. Mm -hmm. Are you ever like mortified that to chant with people around? Like if you're, <laughs> if you're staying really, with friends or something. Oh, that's, that's a, a really, really good, good question. question. A lot of people, you know, are and can be, I've actually heard this, or I've had friends who are like, oh, I don't want to do it in front of my partner or like, you know, that sort of thing. Um, but you know what I would say to that, <laughs> just to be honest, cause it's totally normal and natural, but it's like, why? If this is something that you are feeling called to do anything, right? Like if you feel something is very much in alignment with you, or even if it's, even if you're just testing it, like, I want to see if this works. And I've had friends who have joined basically because they're like, well, I have nothing else to lose. And this is working for you, Erica. So I'm going to do it. And then it works for them. And they're here, right? Like whatever your reasoning is, whether it's like, because it's in full alignment or because it's just something you want to try why would you be embarrassed to share that with the people in your life? And if you are, I think that's a place to go. Um, and I'm, I'm happy to report, like for me, I, I think because my parents had a huge altar in our home and like, I'd bring friends over and they would just hear chanting, um, the embarrassment or like, oh, this is like, I just, I got used to it at a very young age, but actually when I met my now husband, I remember very early on, um, being like, Hey, I do this. And I chant because I was staying at his house a lot overnight. And I was like, I'm not going to miss chanting just because I'm here. And if you want to be with me, like, this is like, this is what I do. And he was totally fine with it. And that's why he's my husband and my person, right? If he wasn't, 
he probably would have been the wrong person for me or absolutely would have been. So I guess that's like, I hope that answers your question or Ali, I don't know if you want to elaborate, but it's kind of like, yes, that question comes up. And, you know, to be honest, I've had friends who have gone to their first meeting and the chanting can be a little overwhelming and maybe they'll walk out of the room or be like, I need to take a moment. And that's totally cool. You know, I don't, I just, I wouldn't feel shame about it because if they're a, whether or not they want to practice or not, if they love me, they should support what I do, right? Whether or not they want to do it themselves too. So yeah, I think with anything, if we feel shame or embarrassment, we, especially around the people who love us, like partners um, or friends, we should go there and be like, why do I feel that way? Why can't I be my true self right now? (laughs) That's what I would say. Yeah. As someone who came to it, um, it, and it wasn't normalized until I like literally first heard it in my late twenties. Uh, it wasn't that I was embarrassed. It was that I was going through an adjustment period. Um, and so I think it was just becoming really comfortable with the fact that this is integral to my life. And now it's like, I don't care. You know, I mean, it, there, there is a sense of, um, you know, you want to be respectful and that's something that we talk a ton about in our practice and, you know, spiritual mentors will say like, yeah, like if it's going to disturb someone, then like maybe find a time and a place that you're not causing, um, conflict because it's like, just like, oh, well, maybe there's something going on in the other room of your roommate, you know, is having this thing and, you, you know, figure it out, work a time that's like respectful for yeah, all don't, parties. Don't chant at like three in the morning yeah. while your roommate <laughs> or partner is asleep, maybe. Yeah. Be, you know, be respectful about it. But I would agree with Erica where it's like now, no, I have no problem. Um, I'll communicate that I'm going to chant or if there are other people around or, um, but it's funny. I have friends who don't practice like officially or anything, but who call me. I had one this morning who was like, Hey, I really, I really think I would like to try chanting again. I was like, okay, you chant from your home. I'll chant from mine. I'll text you when I'm starting, you know? And it's like, it's become so normalized. I think once you, um, once you normalize it for yourself. Yeah. I think this is actually such a, like, it's a, It's an example, a simple example of loving yourself and really, truly taking personal responsibility, not feeling guilt or shame and owning what's important to you. And I feel like, I mean, this can ripple out to be comfortable chanting and then be comfortable setting boundaries and be comfortable asking for what you need. And it just like ripples out into this whole big self-worth picture. It's beautiful. It's interesting too, because we did an episode recently. It's like, everything is connected. We did an episode recently about our like morning and evening routines. And a lot of people have, a lot of people can have trouble, right? Like creating routine, um, in their life. And, but it's like, you just said, it's the ripple effect. And I was like, oh, because I've had a daily chanting practice since I was 18 years old. And I'm now 33 when I left home. Um, that was the first promise I kept to myself. And then it becomes easier to keep other promises or create a routine. So yeah, exactly. Like you said, it's just, there's always like a a lesson of 
how to, how to honor yourself in the truest way. And I feel like one of the questions we should probably insert here is just what is Buddhism? Is it a religion? Is it a cult? Like just address (laughs) all the, all the things please. Yeah. So the way I describe it for myself is basically like a spiritual philosophy. Um, sometimes that's, you know, people use the word religion interchangeably. There are thousands of sects of Buddhism. So there are many different types, some that probably follow, uh, more of a structure of religion in this sort of Western sense of what that means. Um, but having grown up in like a generic Christian background with ex Catholic parents, um, there are many things that are different from many Western religions. And then there are spiritual components that are similar. Um, the organization that we practice with is very much, like I said, it's really a grassroots peace movement. So it's about how do we, how do we create or how do we use this philosophy, this spiritual philosophy to actually just create a better world? And that starts with our home. That starts with our workplaces. That starts with, um, this idea of cause and effect is really like the root of this Buddhism that we practice where it's like, what kind of causes can I try to consciously make in this world? Um, and what kind of value can I create? So literally, as Erica said, the name is value creation society. So, would I say there are aspects of religion? Absolutely. Um, but in the group that we practice with, to me, the way I define it is more of a spiritual philosophy and spiritual community. Erica, do you have anything to add to that? Yeah. And I think what, again, what I love about, and I think organization can get such a dirty word, right? Because yeah, there's a lot of terrible organizations. Like That's just the reality. Right. Um, but as somebody who has, you know, been a part of this specific organization since birth, um, it's also really freeing. It's, it's really freeing in the sense where I've never been told. And I think this is what like true organization should be. Right. It's about like, religion should exist for the people. People shouldn't exist for the religion. And I actually think that's like in something I studied in Buddhism. So that's not mine. I like took that. Um, but it is, it's like our organization exists for the people. The people don't exist for the organization. And so therefore I have a ton, like, you know, look at us, like we love astrology and human design and, you know, um, I'm like very woo, you know, (laughs) like I'm not just like, um, but my foundation and my core is Buddhism. And in the same way, I have tons of friends who are Jewish and Christian and Catholic, and they believe in God or they believe in other things. And they, um, they chant and they practice in the organization and the organization is never, ever like you, you know, you shouldn't do this. I actually have an experience where my parents, when they were going through really hard times, um, they, you know, as I think people do again, seeking outside of yourself, they were looking for, um, answers outside of themselves. Right. And again, Buddhism is really hard because Buddhism wasn't like this. It's not their fault, but this is their karma that they have to transform. Right. Um, and so they had friends who practiced in other 
organizations or religions that I won't call out on this um, podcast, but um, they, their friend who was a part of it was like, you, you should come and you should try this and it, it'll help you. And they did. And it cost a lot of money, like a lot of money. And it was, you know, religion or spirituality. And my parents said though, so they told their Buddhist organization friends and they were like, Hey, we're going to try this. And their friends were like, cool, like go do that. Like, see how it works for you. Just like, you know, like, remember (laughs) the answers are inside of you, but like go at it. Right. No one was ever like, no, you can't don't do that. And so similarly, when my parents went to this other organization, they were like, we want to try this, but like we chant. And is that going to be a problem? And they were like, no, 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 of course it's not going to be a problem. Then my parents give them a lot of money. They do the program. And as they're getting into the program, my parents are told the chanting is impacting our, our philosophy. So you have to stop or else you're not going to get the benefits. And my parents were like, what the, like, what, like what? Um, anyway, and, and they were like, well, we're not going to stop chanting. And then the people were like, well, then we can't help you. And my parents were like, well, can we have our money back? And they were like, no, we'll just save in, in case you ever want to come back in the future. So I just share that experience because that's never been my experience in this organization. Like I have friends who chant and do Reiki. I have friends who chant and are so into astrology, like there's nothing, you don't have to change anything about yourself to be a part of our organization or to be a Buddhist at all. And so to me, again, like, is it religion? Is it spirituality? It's just something that brings you back to self. And, you know, of course it's an organization of people because we don't go outside of ourselves. We don't have priests. We don't have clergy. So I'm sure people have had bad experiences with some people in the organization, But again, that's just about people. I think, again, the purpose of any organization or anything you practice should really always be about empowering yourself and not about empowering the organization, if that makes sense. Sorry, that was a long rambling story, but I always think of my parents' experience with that because, um, yeah, like that, that wouldn't, that's never been my experience in, in this organization specifically. And yeah, I, I love, I'm, I love religion. I've gone to synagogue and church and all this stuff with my friends and and I love it. I love it all. I think because I grew up Buddhist, I'm like, this is so beautiful. Like, look at the stained glass. And, um, you know, we would go to Jewish funerals and do all the prayers and I do Rosh Hashanah at my house still. And, you know, I celebrate Christmas. Like there's nothing I have to change about what I enjoy to participate in my religion. So, yeah. I love it. I want to um, pivot just a tiny bit. Maybe we're not even pivoting to know, to find out like how you guys went from the day Ali walked into this chanting and sees Erica and is like, oh my God, you're this, this chick is amazing. I need to hang out with her more. And then how did you both get into wellness I'm mm. guessing your cancer journey has something to do with it, Allie, yes. for you. And how'd you end up starting Courageous Wellness? Yeah, it's a good question. And it's actually, it wasn't just like, um, like love at first sight. It wasn't not love at first sight, but we, we became what I would call like social friends through, through other friends in the organization, um, where we'd like go out occasionally or like have dinner with some mutual friends and, um, and we practice together some of the time, but it, you know, 
it wasn't like we'd never hung out one-on-one, I think for years. <laughs> and I actually um, wound up getting a job in Japan. So it took me away for a year and a half. And uh, it was when I was in Japan. So I told you I have this performing arts background and I was doing 15 shows a week. I was like, oh my God, the physical output was a ton. And I was reading a book about balancing your blood sugar because I had just gotten super into, um, personally just interested in nutrition, how to feel myself, how to feel my best. Um, and had gone through the cancer experience. So really I had always experimented with food before that. Like I had been vegetarian for four years, almost, almost vegan. I was dairy free too. Cause I had a bad allergy, all these things. And then I was craving meat after my surgery and I experimented with that. And so I've always been interested in it, but I was reading this book about balancing blood sugar. And I had posted on my private Instagram and Erica had seen it and she's like, I'm reading the same one or something. And we started, she like slid into my DMS and we, uh, we started chatting. And then when I had come home from Japan, um, she invited me to go to a workout class and she started sharing some of her own wellness journey with me, which I had not known about because we just didn't know each other in that way. And um, we realized that, you know, she had known I had cancer, but I don't think like we ever really talked about what that experience was like. And um, we just had this like idea one day where we're like, well, if, you know, if we have these stories, other people have stories to tell why don't we make a podcast? And she has an entertainment background and pro- producing and commercial work and, um, TV. And so we both come from an entertainment background, but like, this was like a really growing passion of ours. And neither one of us had ever done a podcast. We had no idea what we were doing, but it was this spark of like, Hey, let's try this. Let's just do it. Let's not wait to be good or, you know, let's just share these stories. And that was, um, mid 2018. And it grew, it grew slowly, but surely. And it just, we got all the signs kept like pushing us forward and it was organic and we were in the flow and we started booking guests. And then all of a sudden people started like reaching out to us. And then all of a sudden we're like, all these publicists were reaching out to us and we're like, wow. And then we started getting sponsors and we decided to become a business. We both went back to school. We became integrative nutrition health coaches. We then went on to do um, both advanced coursework, her and gut health, my, me and hormone health, and those two things work very closely together. So we expanded Courageous Wellness. And that's like the nutshell. It's long-winded, but it's the nutshell version of how we trans transition from being Buddhist acquaintances to, you know, work wives. Yeah. And, and just to add to that, you know, um, like, Ali said, like, I knew she had cancer because I knew that through our Buddhist organization because we were all chanting for her and all of that. And, um, but you know, I had, like I shared, I had a self-love journey and I, I lost 50 pounds. I had a 50 pound weight loss journey. And, um, Ali met me after I lost most of my weight and I didn't really, it's interesting because my journey to courageous wellness and to partnership with Ali, um, I had a lot of shame. Like I had never really talked about losing weight and, um, 
I just never talked about it. And I had had opportunities to go on these like blogs and do things. And I was like, I, it's so funny because I talk all about my weight loss and self-love journey, but I, I never talked about it. And interesting in a similar way of like breaking through the shame of like, let's go there. Let's unpack that. Um, similarly, like Ali said, I did, I slid into her DMS because I was also getting really into nutrition and wellness to deal with like body dysmorphia and all this stuff I was going through. And none of my friends were really interested in wellness. So when I saw Ali was reading the same book, I was like, it, it was an invitation as so as a projector to, um, slide into her DMS. But beyond that, you know, when I invited her to that workout class, I'm also a two and I like to be alone and I, I really like to be alone. And the, the workout class had given me, I, I, I went to a spin studio quite regularly and they had given me like four free passes to bring friends to a class, but it was at a time during the day. It was like a really specific, it was like, like 11 AM on a Wednesday or one o'clock on a Wednesday. It was a time when most people are at work. And again, I, we live in LA. So I did have a few friends who are actors and actresses, and I invited all of them, including Allie. And they had all said no, except for Allie. And I got really nervous actually, because I was like, what are we going to do? We had never, like Allie said, hung out alone. Like I'd gone to her shows. We'd gotten dinner. We'd, we'd hung out many times socially, but never one-on-one. And I was like, I'm going to like courageous wellness, that, that component of courage. I was like, no, like, I really like Allie. Like I'm going to break through this two moment of myself and, and yeah, it's just going to be the two of us. Let's do it. You know? Um, so anyway, I just want to share that because I think a lot of people, it's like, for me, at least there was a component of breaking through aspects of myself, even talking to her about then my weight loss, sharing my story, all of that. Um, Allie's been a really important friend for me. And as our friendship has grown, I think because she's a generator, she's really taught me a lot of strengths she has. But from the onset, I had to like break through my shell of like, oh, I'm going to do this. Something that's out of my comfort zone a lot. Thank you for sharing both of you sharing in that story. And it's in 2018. Wasn't that long ago? I just want to say, like, I feel like I feel like you guys were made to do this together. Um, and also Erica weight loss. So we, before we hit record, we were talking about how you both have open emotional centers in human design and something that I don't think is obvious to all of us is when, so an open emotional center means you're feeling and amplifying other people's emotions and it's, it can be intense. And if we don't feel safe, we protect ourselves by putting on extra weight. And so then the bravery to lose that weight, to feel safe enough in your body and safe enough around other people's emotions. Holy moly. I just want to give you like so many high fives for oh yeah, doing that. Yeah. No, even today, this was seven. I'd say I lost most of my weight by 2014 right? 2014, 2015. So, and Ali and I started in 2018. So it had been a couple of years, but emotional eating is something I always like, it is a journey because like you just said, like, it is so easy to detach or fill myself up with food for comfort. Right. So yeah. Thank you for sharing that. So any other 
open emote, like anybody else, I like fully get it. Like I, I live it. Right. And even though I, and I think I've been able to sustain it because of the self-love component of it. Um, but yeah, it's real. It's definitely, it's definitely real. Everything you just said. It feels like for you, you had like, you're born into this kind of spiritual backbone that could hold you and remind you that you're whole and perfect as you are. And you're still a human. So you had to go off on this like human, like, ah, other people's emotions. Oh my God. What do I do? What do I do? Protect myself. And then like, kind of come back home and be like, oh, I'm, I am safe. I am perfect. I am whole. Mm. Absolutely. Absolutely. So I think you guys asked me this, but I want to know what does courage mean to you? What is or courage, courageousness? I don't care which version of the word you use. Yeah. I, you know, it's interesting. We think about this a lot because we ask all of our guests this question. And so I think for me, it's about taking action to live authentically. And if you want to use like human design talk (laughs) language, like in alignment, um, even when that's sometimes unpopular, um, and, and trusting, I think it's about trusting my life and trusting myself is when I'm, when I'm able to practice that, I feel like I'm being courageous. Yeah. The same thing, that word authentic, like living authentically, I think is very, takes a lot of courage. And that doesn't mean it's easy because, you know, like you might, have to push yourself out of your comfort zone to be like, no, I, I want to go to this workout class with Allie, or I'm going to send this DM or I'm going to start a podcast. Um, but if something feels in alignment to like live your truth so authentically, even if it's hard, even if it's scary, and then it just gets easier and easier and easier. So, yeah. Mm -hmm. Oh, and just the last thing too, courage, the etymology, like cur, core is like of the heart. And so I think oftentimes it's like when we're living authentically, we're living from our heart and you know, like what our heart desires. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. I just have a couple, couple more questions here. Erica, you're a projector and projectors are here to guide us. And they tend to have this one niche where they're here to make things more efficient and more effective. Do you happen to know what that niche is for you? I don't know. (laughs) I don't know, Allie. I don't know. You know me really well. I don't know if something comes to mind for you. To be honest, um, I don't mean this to sound um, like self-important in any way, but like, I am good at a lot of things. <laughs> like I just am, I always have been. And that's always been like a challenge because it's kind of like whatever I feel called to do, I know I can do it well. It's just a matter of, um, again, what is true to myself. And I think, you know, one of my friends told me, um, once that I'm kind of like the elephants in the jungle book, which is really sweet. I don't know if you guys know jungle book, but she's like, you kind of open the way for other people to live their truth. And she said this a long time ago, right. Which is very much a projector. She said this 
years ago. It's a really good friend of mine. She's like, yeah, you kind of just like, like the elephants, I guess in the jungle book, they, um, they, they walk over the land to open it up for all the other animals to live. I think that's what she meant. And I think that is a talent where like, I can, I can open the way for other people to live their truth. Um, yeah, I don't know if that answers the question. Um, but yeah, I definitely think I can help guide people to their, to their truth. If they, which I've learned as a projector, invite me to do so because I have learned the hard way that people don't always want to (laughs) hear what you, not what I even think is their path, but just like kind of perceptions I'm, I'm picking up on, um, in their life. I don't know if that answers your question at all. I, (laughs) I, I, I think I'm still figuring it out, but, um, yeah, but I do know right now, like, I feel very, very passionate about our health and wellness business and company, but especially in the context of community wellness and education and empowerment, um, and helping people really learn how to educate, empower, and advocate for themselves. Yeah. Mm. That's all beautiful. And first of all, yeah, as a two line, you are good at everything. And as a two line, you can't see yourself. So yeah, let's turn it over to Allie. What is Erica's like niche? What do you think? You know, what's interesting. She has the ability to cut through, especially for other people. It's interesting about like the not being able to see yourself, but for other people, she can bring some like quick, deep wisdom about seeing like the entirety of a situation. Um, and can tap into speaking that quickly. I've seen that happen. So even if in the context of business, she'll, you know, be like, mm, or this is not, like, she, I don't, maybe it's an intuition thing, but there's, um, she's like deeply intuitive and knows how to like act on that pretty quickly. Um, and I find it to be very trustworthy, like, it's just, um, it's like the, the joke of like Erica, sort of like Morgan Freeman meets Malibu Barbie. Like she's this fun, energetic, uh, like California girl. But like when she taps into it, man, she speaks truth, like directly in the moment. And that translates in business and that translates, um, in Buddhism too. (laughs) Sometimes when you need some guidance on certain things or, um, she has the ability to see it for, for other people, I think. And that's in, 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 in a gift kind of way. Um, that's my like quick go-to, I, I would say she's also, um, I feel like sometimes if I get like big picture, she can kind of be like, let's do this, this, this. She like can keep us on task. So <laughs> from a very practical standpoint, I think that's a, um, like a, a good way that we balance each other sometimes as far as skill sets go. Yeah. Just talking to you guys, first of all, you're amazing with having like interviewing both of you at the same time. This is so smooth. You got this down and, but you just really feel like it feels like your energy is intertwined in the best way possible. Mm -hmm. And it's just really fun to be in your combined energy. Obviously I haven't been lucky enough to hang out with only one of you at a time other than the like minute 
with Allie before you jumped on today, Erica. But um, yeah, you're just your team mm. is it's really strong and really golden. And actually, it would be so fun to do a partner reading for you too. That would be fun. We can talk about that afterwards. <laughs> okay. Okay. Last question: What is if you just got to shout each of you, if you could shout something from the rooftops that you just want everyone in the world to hear, to know, to embody, what would it be? What's your message to the world? And you can't get this wrong. The, the two that come to my mind right away is, um, take care of your gut. Sorry, back to the beginning, you know, to go full circle, like really, however, take care of your gut, take care of your gut. And, um, something, one of our guests, um, actually he's now the, the mayor of New York, the New York city mayor of New York, Eric Adams was on our podcast. Was it last year? It must've been, yeah, it was last year. Um, he was on our podcast and he said something that's really stood with me and it wasn't about politics at all. He wrote a plant-based cookbook actually. And that's why he came on our podcast. Um, but he said something because at the time he was the Brooklyn borough president and he said something that has really stuck with me where he said, we have to meet people where they're at, not where we're at. And I think that is like, that is how I feel about my purpose <laughs> like in wellness and in this business is, you know, I think especially the LA wellness scene can be so privileged and so out of touch and so so privileged and we have to meet people where they are at, not where we are at. So that like phrase just came to mind when you asked that question. Um, yeah. Okay. I'm going to steal mine, but I'm going to tell you my source. <laughs> so my source is actually Ted Lasso, the, the TV show, but Ted Lasso claims this was said by Walt Whitman. And I did some digging and there's like, that's that's sort of like combated. So we don't really know, but I love, I love, I love this, which is like choose curiosity, not judgment. And I've been trying to live by that more and more. And sometimes it's hard because we're humans and we make assumptions and we judge, but I feel like understanding this idea that curiosity is the opposite of judgment because through curiosity, we ask questions and through questions, we can seek answers and understanding. And when we have more understanding, we don't need to go, we don't need to walk through this world from a place of judgment. So that's mine as of late. Um, it's like, be curious, not judgmental. Mm. Curiosity is my favorite. Mm. I love it. How yeah. can people, all right. So the podcast is called courageous wellness. Yes. Yes. W website offerings. Tell us all the things yes, like yes, everyone's yes. going to want everything <laughs> with you guys. So well, just go. You can find us on all podcast platforms. We release courageous wellness every single Wednesday. So every Wednesday for the last three years, there has been an episode. So you can follow us and subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts. We're courageous wellness on Instagram, courageous wellness podcast on Facebook. And our website is courageouswellness.net where we, we can work with you as health coaches. And, um, we also have a Patreon that is eight 99 a month that offers accessible health coaching content. So you do get extra podcast episodes, like mini sods or videos and recipes. And we had a whole month about gut health. And if you join, you can access the entire library. So 
yeah, that's, that's kind of, I think that's all the things, Allie, unless I miss something. I think that's, that's all the things right now for sure. But yeah, you can just go to our website too. And everything is there. And we do have um, some partnerships and great fun discount codes for things too. If you're interested in wellnessy stuff. So uh, yeah, check us out at our website. You guys are so, I want to say you're so fun, but you're also so, and you are so rooted in your wisdom and you share it with, I'm going to go back to the word goldenness. Like it's just, Mm. I feel, I feel your rooted truth and your strength of like the trunk of a tree. And I just feel you both just spreading so much light and it's so fun to be in your energy. So thank you so much for sharing yourselves and your, your love and play and stories and wisdom with all of us. Thank you so much for having us. We've loved getting to know you even just virtually so far, and we can't wait to release your episode as well. So thank you for having us. It's just a treat. We feel the same way about you, Kelsey. So it's just, it's been an honor. It has on both sides. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed that conversation. If you did, and if you think you know other people who would enjoy it, please share it with them. And if you are so inspired, please head over to Apple Podcasts and leave the Find Your Awesome Podcast a five-star rating and a review. Remember, you can learn everything about Ali and Erica at CourageousWellness.net and listen to their podcast. I am a big fan. It's a good one. It's called Courageous Wellness and it's everywhere you can listen to podcasts. And again, if you want to get on my email list or learn how to work with me, go to KelseyAbbott.com. That's it. Kelsey out. Have a wonderful, magical, miracle-filled day. I hope your day is filled with joy and ease and love and play. Go forth and be awesome.